Good morning. How are we this morning? Praise the Lord. I don't know about you, but my Bible says in the presence of the Lord, there is joy forevermore. Praise God. We've just experienced the presence of the Lord. So there should be some joy amongst us, right? Hallelujah. Does anybody have any joy here this morning? Now, the one thing you need to understand about joy is the biblical part of joy has nothing to do with your feelings. Amen. You know what it has to do with? It has to do with, because joy is an eternal concept, feelings are not. Feelings are fickle. I don't know about you, but I don't feel good all the time. I don't know about you, but I don't feel like coming to church all the time. How about you? I don't know about you, but sometimes my body just rather, you know, be home working in the garden or watching some football or something like that. That's what my flesh would like to do. Right? See, that's fickleness. That's based on the circumstance. Joy ain't based on circumstance. Joy is a position. It's a place that we occupy, and it's a divine enablement. Amen. There's no way that you can do what the scripture says when it says, be joyful in everything. You can't do that. Oh, come on. Does anybody agree with that? That it's absolute insanity to tell somebody who's lost a loved one to be joyful. I mean, from a fleshly perspective. Or lost a leg or almost lost a leg or gone through the horrific thing that our sister went through. From a fleshly perspective, where is the joy in that? Well, it's not there in the flesh. That's a whole point. The point of the matter is, is that in the presence of the Lord, there is joy forevermore. And I don't know about you, but the Bible says that that part of the presence, you want to know why joy comes and goes, comes and goes, comes and goes? Because we come and go in the presence of the Lord. You want to take a sail moment and pause and think of that? I don't know about you, but my Bible says, he that dwelleth in the secret place. Oh, now come on. I don't need an organ. The Bible says, he that dwelleth in the secret place. It doesn't say he that comes in and out whenever he feels like it, whenever it's a warm fuzzy for him to do so or her. It says, he that dwelleth in the secret place. And the Bible talks about the commands of the Lord and he that continueth in them. There's a part of dwelling and continuing, folks, that we, I believe, most of the time do not participate in. That's why the joy comes and goes, comes and goes, because we come and go in the presence of the Lord. But I just believe by the Spirit of God this morning, Father, thank you for the Holy Ghost. Thank you for the teacher, the divine enabler, the one that would, would put super upon the natural this morning in the name of Jesus to bring glory and honor unto you and to exalt Jesus to the highest place. Thank you for a spirit of revelation and wisdom and the knowledge of you this morning. Thank you that you would anoint my lips and anoint the ears and eyes of those out here. Father God, we would experience divine enablement for revelation this morning. In the name of Jesus and all glory and honor unto you. And I take authority over every thing this morning that would hinder the word of God. Every vain imagination that would exalt itself up against the knowledge of God, you be laid low in the name of Jesus. We put our attention and focus and conscience upon the Lord this morning and we'll receive the super on the natural this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. I think the concept that we have, I'm coming after, here I'm 46 years old, I've walked with the Lord my whole life, and I'm just not coming to the place where I think I finally get a, get a couple things. Huh? And I know y'all look, don't look at me in that tone of voice as they say, you know. 
Man, the things of God are simple, folks. Man, we have made them so hard. Here's something that we've made so hard. We're talking about abiding in the presence. Todd, I'm going to use you, man. Just stay right there for a second, can you? Here's the concept I want to deliver this morning. By the Spirit of God, please, I just believe in simplicity you'll receive this. The presence of the Lord is as real as you sitting there and me sitting here right now. For us, I'm believing more and more that for us to constantly ask for the presence of God to increase and so forth in our lives, I think is is wrong. It's a wrong perspective. Why? Because God's always with us. He is. He's always with us. We don't need to be groveling and asking God, oh God, please pour out your presence. The spirit of God, I don't know about you, but I've been vacuum packed with the spirit of God. Sealed with the Holy Ghost. That's what it says. The Holy Spirit, either we have God in us and we're his temple or we're not. I don't know about you, but my Bible says, know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Well, what is a temple? A temple is a place where the presence of a deity dwells. And so the Old Testament temple and tabernacle, as you saw, was the place where the presence of the God dwelt among the people. Why? Because he couldn't come in the the people who were to be his temple. He had to dwell in temple made by human hands at the time. But post-Jesus, we are the temple now. Hallelujah. We are filled with his fullness. Should be. So here's, here's a good illustration, I think, talking about being thing. Let's just strip it down to simplicity. I just believe you're going to receive a revelation this morning. Hallelujah. This is what I'm coming into concept of with my God. I'm the temple of the Holy Ghost. His presence is always here. Always, 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 always. It doesn't come and go. Either I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit or I'm not. Either he fills the temple or he does not. And the Bible says he comes in to dwell in us. Dwell, dwell. Isn't that interesting? Dwell. He comes in to live. So let's just pretend God, uh, Todd, you're God today. Do we, is, so let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. In the simplicity of illustration, is Todd present with us? How do you know that? You can see him. That's right. There's evidence of God right there, Todd. You're God. Go outside the door. Open the door, Todd, but just stand out there. Can you kick that thing open? Is Todd present with us? How do you know? You can still see him, right? There's evidence of God, right? He's present with us, right? Todd, close the door. Stay out there. Oh, come on now. I think we're going to see some things this morning. Is God present with us? How how can you say that? How do you know he's out there, though? You don't see him, do you? How do you know he's out there? Huh? You smell him. (laughs) Okay, Todd, you can come back in. Okay, stay, stay right there now. Do you, do you see where I'm going? This is what I'm realizing about God. It doesn't matter whether or not I can have the experience I've had with him before. I trust and know that he's present with me regardless of how the circumstance may wall him, appear to wall him away. But here's the reality, Todd, go out there one more time. This is what you do, folks, when you make the connection. Now close the door. This is the soulish and natural dimension, this auditorium. Todd, open the door. That is where he's at is the spiritual dimension. There is a wall. Do you all follow me this morning? Why? It's called the wall of the senses. The what you can taste, what you can touch, what you can feel, what you can see, what you can hear. That wall, you can allow it to separate you from the reality that God is out there. He's with us. But see, the thing is, it's a dimensional thing. 
He's in the spirit dimension. We are not only in the spiritual dimension. We're in the flesh and soul dimension. And so if the entirety of our experiences are based on the things of this dimension, guess where God is at? He's outside the door of your reality. But yet he's there all the time. So this is what you have to do. Close the door, Todd. By faith... I opened the door. By faith, by faith, I op- oh, go ahead and open the other door and hold them open, please. By faith, do you see what I'm saying? By faith, I opened the door to the dimensional reality of his existence. My action of kicking that door open was my faith. Do you see what I'm saying? Because what this lady said a while ago, because I know he's there. Well, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith, what it does is, is it kicks open and kicks through the to the evidence. Do you see what I'm saying? It's a spiritual evidence, though it's not a physical one. So if the entirety of our reality of God, you're with me, is based on our feelings, which are a physical and mental dimension, then guess where God's going to be most of the time? Outside the door, unseen by us, unfelt by us. Oh, God, where are you? Where are you, God, in my circumstance? Oh, God, where have you gone? All the time, God's presence is always there. Always there. It never leaves. Thank you, Todd. He never forsakes. I did not intend to talk about that, but I believe this morning that you receive revelation. Because if you, you know, it's called a, the, the old, the, the real $10 word for it is paradigm shift. Paradigm is just a perspective, the way you look at something. Or it could be a paradigms that's 20 cents worth. So let's throw out the $10 word and just call it this. Vision, the way I can see things. See, and when I I look at that perspective, I can see something that I don't necessarily see if I'm over here. Huh? I see a different perspective now. Y'all see where I'm going? Let's allow the Spirit of God to change our perspective about the right now reality of the presence of God with us. Let's let him to change our perspective about the right now absolute eternal reality that he inhabits us. We are the temple. You know, my prayer used to be, and you all have heard me preach this. Oh my goodness, God, forgive me for my narrow perspective. You know, I've, I've looked at David and I've idolized him in so many ways. And he's a wonderful person to idolize, but absolutely a wonderful person to look at from a hero perspective. But let me tell you what, he was, he existed in the old covenant in relationship to God. We exist in the new covenant now, past Jesus, our mediator. Okay, but here's David's plea. Oh God, that I would dwell in your house forever. That you would set me as a pillar before your presence. What is a pillar? A pillar is like those stones that like hold the roof up, right? In other words, it's something that's probably not going to move. It's going to be fixed. It's going to stay in the presence of God. Do you see what I'm saying? He, he, he told God, oh God, set me as a pillar in your presence. If I could be but a pillar in your presence, I want to experience. I want to abide. I want to live forever and ever and ever and ever in a constant uh, uh, reception and, and in the context of your presence at all times, right? Isn't that what that means? Set me as a pillar before your presence. Man, I have, I have prayed that prayer. I have prayed that prayer that has been the hunger of my heart. Oh, God, set me as a pillar in your presence. Oh, God, in other words, that I don't just come and go in experience of the presence of God, but it's a continual abiding in the presence of God. Do you see what I'm saying? A continual abiding there, living there, like that pillar would be in the presence of what's happening around it. That's what God wants for us, and that's what God has created as a potential for us to live in. But here's the reality of what the Holy Ghost just smacked me with one day. 
I mean, I was just like, oh, my goodness. Forgive me, God. Do you know what he told me? Are you all ready for this? Simple. Simple. See? Simple. Oh, God, set me as a pillar in your presence, just like the patriarch of old prayed. Oh, God, I want to abide in your presence. I want to live in your presence. I want to be set as a pillar. You know what God told me? Do you all want to know? Does anyone want to know what God told me? He said, son, you're not only a pillar, you're the tabernacle. Oh, come on now. Nobody got that, but just a few people. He said, you're not just a pillar in my presence. You're the very context of my presence now. Oh, come on, folks. If we really understood that, we would be dancing on these chairs right now. Huh? Yes. We are not just a piece of, the, of, of the, what is a, constitutes an expression of the presence of God and exposure to the presence of God. We are the context of the presence of the living God in this world because we are the temple of the living God now. We're the whole thing. We're the pillar. We're the stage. We're the altar. We're everything that was in that temple. We're everything now because that's what we are. We're the temple of the living God. My goodness, my goodness, God, help us to understand that. And if that's the case, then there are no walls. See, here's what we should get to. We should get to the place that the reality and understanding of our of our spiritual eyes to enlighten our soulish eyes to the place that literally the presence of God is never walled from us. If we had doors all the way around here, we could just kick all the doors open. Then at that point in time, guess what? His context and reality is brought into our context and reality. Self-same. Even though he's in a spiritual dimension. This is not my message this morning. It's God's message though. Well, I'm going to just let you chew on that like the old cow would in the back 40, you know, spit their cut up and chew on it. You need to do that with the things of God. You can't just chew something and swallow it down and receive the fullness of the nutrients there. You've got an ability, a spiritual cud maker that's going to pull that back up. It's called the Holy Ghost and called working with your spirit that he'll bring all things to your remembrance that you, that you have learned. Why? Because we're forgetful. So God has to keep bringing these things up. But here's, here's your spiritual chud, cud chewer. It's called meditation. It's called meditation. And I know that's a, a, that's a word that, that makes the religious bones shake because a lot of people say, well, that's a, that's a new age term. Well, sure, it's a new age term because guess what? They've got more revelation and understanding about the concepts of meditation than the people of God who should know it. They're reaping from the power of it, but it's a power of darkness. We've got one eight nine hundred numbers. We've got telephone or uh, television programs that are about mediums and all these people that are in contact and have learned how to access the spiritual things. But it's the dark side of the force, folks. To put it in the context of the upcoming Star Wars stuff, which I'm very excited about. Oh my goodness. One of these days, I just believe we're going to come to the place that this is as real as you looking at me right now, as you hearing my voice, as me seeing you and perceiving your presence, that the presence of the living God is not something that we look at as a far off thing, but a right now reality. But it's just a dimension. It's just a dimensional issue. He's in the spirit. We're in the flesh and natural, the soulish dimension. But we can, by faith, access that. Anytime, anywhere, any place, any circumstance. You know, my son, I used to read this book to him. It's called Jesus is With Me. And, you know, it's a cheesy book. But I got to tell you what, man, my soul has been feeding on the simplicity of that message. On a bike that I like, Jesus is with me. On a horse, strong of course, Jesus is with me. On a train in the rain, Jesus is with me. Up in space, every place, Jesus is with me. 
And I think that that would be, and there's a a lot more pages to it, but it just goes on and on and on and on and on. And it's a constant reminder of the absolute truth that Jesus is with me. And I know it sounds corny, but I have literally sat there and thought about that book. What do we say about simplicity? Let's strip it down, folks, to the raw reality of what it is and take all the facade and, and the, the you know, accomplishments of the mind that, you know, that's just foolishness inside of God. And let's strip it down to what he gave us. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the gospel, the good news, the simplicity of the message of the kingdom. So let's just move into a few aspects of that, and then we'll, we'll be done. I've already preached myself happy this morning. You know, we talked about the gospel. We've been talking about the gospel. Pastor CJ, Cornell, and I, we've been moving you through. And i got to tell you what, Cornell, man, there were some truths last week, brother, that you brought forth. He is, what, what the Holy Ghost brought to him last week, in particular, this statement, it ought to ring through your soul. And that is this. It's just like the it's it's like one of the my favorite, you know, patriarchs of the current church age. Kenneth Hagin said, you know, my he said God told him that the people said or that God God said that the people were more pursuing the the spectacular and missing the supernatural. They were more into the spectacular things of the kingdom of God and missing the everyday supernatural thing. And Cornell, you were talking about last week that perhaps one of the greatest miraculous supernatural things that are taking place is the everyday grace of God in our life. Brother, that is a powerful statement. I sat there after you said that and I've just, you know, I've considered aspects of that, but when I stopped to think of it, I could hear Kenneth Hagin's voice rolling on my mind, seeking the spectacular and missing the supernatural. And the whole reality is what we started this thing out to begin with. We're always looking for the warm fuzzy the thing that makes you feel good, the things that will stir an emotional, elicit an emotional response when the reality is an eternal concept of the right now presence of the power of God in our lives every single day to do what he's told us to do, to empower us to walk the way he's called us to walk. Amen. That is the supernatural. That is the supernatural, brother. That is an everyday, quiet presence, miraculous thing happening all the time. And when we get to heaven, we're going to be in a place with God. We're going to look back and go, oh, dear God, I didn't even know you were with me. How could I have not? How could I have failed to know that? You know what I'm saying? We're going to get to heaven and we're going to look back and it's kind of like that. What's that old um, uh, thing on the wall that have it said footprints in the sand? How many of y'all have ever seen that? You know, and everybody looks at that and they're, they're so touched when they read the message of that. And what are, the, what are you, I, I'm not going to, I'm not probably going to butcher it, but the bottom line is it goes from two sets of prints to one set of prints. And then it's like, wait a minute, there's only one set of prints here, Lord. And he said, well, that's because I carried you. We're going to get to heaven and realize just exactly how many steps God actually carried us by his grace. And we were unaware of it. That is good news, folks. That is the gospel. Hallelujah. So we talked about, you know, everybody else has a gospel, John and Mark, Luke and Matthew. And so I said, I have a gospel too, the gospel according to Greg. And so I delivered what the Holy Ghost brought to me at the time. Y'all remember that. And you'll go back and listen to it. And I'm, I, I don't make no apologies. Yeah, it was an hour and 17 minutes. My goodness, I can't believe I went that long. <laughs> but you know who I blame it on? I blame it on Todd because we just ended up a very quick praise and worship set. So it gave me much more time than I was used to. <laughs> But you'll remember that our golden text for this series, Pastor CJ, Cornell, and I, we, we continue coming back to this text. This is really the golden text. It's Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. That's the golden text. And we talked about several aspects of what that meant. It meant it was good news. But in reality, it actually means in the back in the day, from a contextual perspective, it was too good to be true news. It was actually something that was so good, it was actually beyond human reasoning that it could actually, in other words, it was an impossibility. It was an impossibility. 
And uh, you remember that Cliff's notes on redemption because the, the perspective of really what the gospel can be summarized into is one word. It's redemption. It's the story of redemption. Hallelujah. Him buying us back and enabling us through his grace to be able to live, guess what, in his presence. <laughs> Hallelujah. And have access to it. And we covered the aspects, you know, the Cliff's notes, if you will, of, of redemption. And uh, there are many things to uh, to talk about there. You know, man was created for relationship with God. That's why he spun this whole thing into motion. We were the crown jewel. Man disobeyed God to point number two, and we were separated from him. Spiritual death, okay, and uh, and law of sin and death entered the world because of it. It's point number three of redemption. God had a plan to reestablish the right of relationship through covenant. That's what the entirety of the Old Testament and New Testament, the Old Covenant and New Covenant is all about. It's the story of the plan of redemption. It's the story of God legally creating the right for us to have access and relationship with him. Hallelujah. And so you see that we covered the Old Testament, New Testament covenants a little bit, some aspects of those. Point number four, along the way, the law is given to show man that that he needed God's plan. God had a plan, but we didn't know we really needed it. But the law was given to show us that we had to, had to have God, God's plan at work in our life. Point number five, uh, well, let's see, point number six then, or five, Jesus comes as a man, pays the price to reestablish the relationship. Again, we're covering the Cliff's Notes of Redemption, which is really the sum total of what God, the gospel message is all about. And so then really we get to, at this aspect, and this is where I started to wind down, the power of the gospel what is the power of gospel? We started out in Romans 1.16, the golden text, talking about, I am not ashamed. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Well, what is that power? Well, I, I can give you that power in one word, and it's called grace. The power of the gospel that Paul was preaching is the word and the concept grace. And I got to tell you, there's a lot that's been made of this message and a lot of bad that's been made of it to the place that, that people even discount this message. How how in the world? Well, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but how in the world could we get to the place that our pride, but you know what? That's exactly what it does. What does it say? God, what opposes the proud? That's right. What does he give, though, to the ones that wouldn't be prideful? I rest my case. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. Okay, so the power of the gospel is grace. And really, that's kind of point number six of the cliff notes of redemption. It's the final chapter, if you will, of redemption. It's the law of grace now. That's been established, and through it, man's privilege to the kingdom. Okay? That's what the power of grace brings to, gives to us. And then I gave you several couple scriptures to look at. Romans 5.17, talking about how death came as a result of one man's failure, and then how life or grace in abundant life came as a result of one man's victory, Jesus. Romans 8.2-4, through 4, talking about the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the law of grace setting us free from the law of sin and death, and that the law could not achieve for us what we needed, but it had to be achieved through um, God sending his own son in the flesh to whip flesh on its own terms in its own house, so to speak. You know, we had someone come up in our house last night and deliver us our first loss. It didn't feel very good. But that's what Jesus did to sin. Did you know that? He came up in a, in a flesh and bone body on its home turf and, and gave it a good old-fashioned country beat down. He did. I mean, he absolutely smacked it down. And, you know, the one thing before I move on to this into some new aspects here. I wanted to say real quickly, it's so interesting how when we talk about grace, the first reaction a lot, of time, a lot of us might have is, well, what about, you know, what about sin, Greg? I mean, what about the license that a lot of people might take with grace in order to live their lives how they want to? You know, it's so interesting, you know, that they, 
uh, I mean, how the mindset can be that way. I want to read one scripture to you. First Thessalonians 5, 9, this one that says, For God did not appoint us to wrath. Right there, it settles it for me. My father didn't appoint me. He didn't appoint you. He didn't predetermine that we are to be objects of his wrath. Either that scripture is true or it's not. And if that's not true, then the rest of it's a lie too. Oh, come on now. That's the way you got to look at stuff. You can't have just a piece. You can't have brownies that have a little bit of dog poop in them and you can't taste it and say that it's not there because I can't taste it. Y'all know that story? Well, go ask somebody that knows it if you want to know about it. That'll help get relationship going. First Thessalonians 5, 9, listen to what it says. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but what did he appoint us to? To receive salvation. Are we going to settle today? Can we, can we settle today this concept? What are we appointed for? We're appointed for salvation. We're appointed for everything that salvation would bring to us. We are not appointed to wrath. Can everyone identify with that this morning? So why too good to be true? Why, why do we say that in the contextual uh, um, interpretation of that word gospel? Why was it really too good to be true? Why was it viewed really as heresy back in the day to even talk about it? Well, the reality is that our life and relationship with God doesn't depend on our ability to accomplish something. And back in the day, everything in terms of your access to God and anything you did with regard to having God's presence depended upon you doing something. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, depended upon them applying themselves to all these rules and regulations. They viewed the body of all their obedience to that kind of stuff as their right of access and their right standing with God, their righteousness with God. The reality of the too good to be true knowledge is now, and it became a stumbling block. Have any of y'all ever wondered why it says that Jesus became a stumbling block to those? Because this is what the Pharisees continually stumbled and tripped over all the time because he got in their, got in the way of that mentality. He got in the way of the, the right to relationship with God outside of grace. He got in their way. It's not about what you can obey. It's not about what you can apply yourself to from a flesh and bone perspective or a mental ascent perspective. It's about everything that you can't do and one person did and you and he's exchanged that right of access with us now. I love what one minister said the other day it just lit my fire he said you know what he said so many of us talk about how these things change our lives oh lord change oh lord change when really the reality is not about change it's about exchange pause and think of that because when you stop and think about it from an exchange perspective that means that everything to do with you is completely supplanted and replaced do you see what i'm saying it's completely wiped away. There's no aspect of you left on the board. It's completely removed and replaced. It's exchanged. If I was to pull my wallet out and any of these young men right here would love where I'm about to go and say, can I exchange my wallet for yours? I don't think a single one of them, they'd be tripping over themselves to exchange their wallets with me. <laughs> would you boys agree with that? Did I just make a true statement? If I said, I'll exchange your wallets with you, would any of y'all do that? Well, now here's someone who brings in foolish reasoning. He said, it depends on how much money you have. Well, you don't know how much money I've got. You've just lived, you're gone, you're done. You're out of the equation now. How about the rest of y'all? Yeah, see there? The simple childlike faith. That right there... I'm, I'm, I'm going to use him as an example. That right there, that's the way we're to be with this message. You don't sit there and analyze, and I'm not coming down on you, man, because the rest of us would have been like you probably. This right here, this is where we need to be. What did God say? What did Jesus say about children? Yeah, let them come to me, but I don't think he was just talking about children, children. I think he's talking about people with a childlike heart. People like this that would go, I'll take it. <laughs> I don't know what's in there. It don't matter. I'll take it. 
I love that, man. That's, that's a great illustration. Thanks, thanks for doing that. Totally unrehearsed. My goodness. Okay, so may I have till 1145? I know that's going to be a little bit longer than, than my 45 minutes is counting down up there before the world comes to an end. But, okay, I asked you permission. Thank you. We'll go to 1145 and we're, we're done, okay? And that's not an empty promise. If it gets to 1145 and I don't stop talking, then you someone yell out. Okay. So we talked about why good, too good to be true. Well, it's all, the reason why it's too good to be true is because it has nothing to do with you anymore. See, and everything that had been taught for hundreds and hundreds of years had to do with things they could do. That's why it was a stumbling block for them. They couldn't get over that. What? What? No, no, it's heresy. Heresy. We have to do this. We have to do that. We have to go through these ceremonial washings and cleansings and stuff like that. So if you look at our golden text again, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, also to the Greek, for in it God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. There's a commandment. The righteous shall live by faith, will live by faith. So point number one is here with regard to too good to be true is that the burden of our position with God has already been accomplished in Jesus and is made available to all by his grace. That's the power of the good news is the, this grace concept, the divine enablement for you to receive and have that great exchange take place in your life. If you'll receive it, just like this young man right here, I'll take it. I'll take it. The great exchange. His grace is the power for your salvation on every level. The soul, the spirit, the body. It enables you to receive his salvation on every level. You receive your position in God through faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. Faith is the thing that kicked that door open back there to bring the right now reality of God's presence in, our, in my midst. To open up that thing that was separating my ability to perceive his presence. You receive this position through faith. Romans 5 Verse 2, listen to what it says. It says, we have obtained access through him, capital H, by faith into this grace which we now stand. See, by faith. By faith we obtain this, uh, in, we uh, receive this grace into which we now stand. But notice now from the golden text that it's, it's revealed by nothing else. You know, the revelation of faith. What does it say in verse 17, Romans 1, 17? For in it God's righteousness is revealed. And that means our position with God, our standing with God is revealed. That means it's made known to you. It's made known to others. How? By faith. From faith to faith. From God's faith having been given to you as a gift to the continuing faith that you would keep actuating in the process of your walking in God. From faith to faith. That's what that means to me. It doesn't say anything about from law to law. It doesn't say anything about from good deed to good deed. Verse 17, it doesn't say anything about from paying my tithes to paying my tithes next week. It doesn't say anything about spending two hours in prayer to spending five hours in prayer next week. You have to add to scripture to say it does. What does it say? It says from faith to faith. From faith to faith. That's how that position in God is revealed as a result of this grace that we receive. And then, and then what does it say? It ends up with the commandment. The righteous ones that actually receive this will live by, by faith. So in other words, from faith to faith means that the faith that God... Well, let me not, let me not step ahead here. Well, here it is. So I, I had it lined out. Point number four, even the faith, folks, that you have... The ability for you to receive God's grace, for you to kick that door open and bring the reality of that grace, his power for salvation into your life, even that is provided as a gift. 
You don't have to muster that up. That's not an essence or part of who you, of what you can do still. So you have to, how do you receive the power of God? The grace of, well, you receive it by his divine enablement. Well, how do you receive the divine enablement? By the divine enablement of his faith that he gives you to kick the door open, to bring it as an, in a reality in your presence, make it a reality in your life. That is a gift as well. So not only is the grace, the divine enablement and strength to do what you can't do a gift, the very ability for you to receive it is also a gift. It starts out as a gift and then you continue in it from faith to faith. Listen to what Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. Did you hear that? You've been saved by grace through faith, but that not of yourselves. What's not of yourself? The faith you took to receive the grace. Well, where did that come from? It is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Do you know what? God knew exactly where our pea minds were going to go with this. Pride. Well, I did such and such. Well, I fasted five days and I only drank water. Whereas so-and-so did a juice fast. Or they only fasted through the day, but they ate a big meal at night. That discounts what they did compared to mine. Mine's more an authentic fast than that person. Y'all see what I'm saying? See, it's by faith, lest in that not of ourselves, but a free gift of God, so that none of us could sit there and boast in any aspect of what we've done to receive that thing. That's what that scripture means. Praise God. Well, that ta- I don't know about you, but that takes a lot of burden off me. It puts it all on God. And you know what? God wants our burdens. What did Jesus say? Come unto me, you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You want to know what re- real rest is when it comes to the, the things of God and living them out for the, for the kingdom, living out the right now reality of the kingdom of God? The rest is the assurance that you're going to get the power to do something you can't do. It's the ability to draw back inside of you and, ta- and, and kick the door open by faith and make and access that power and know that it doesn't make any difference that you screwed up yesterday. That's not going to disqualify it. Come on now. Come on now. I'm preaching good news this morning. And you can see that Paul couples grace and gospel together multiple times. Grace is clearly the power of the good news. When we say that he wasn't ashamed of, of the gospel because it was the power of God, he's talking about what is the power. He's talking about the grace of God, the divine enablement. And if you look at Acts 20, 24 and Galatians 1, 6, you can see some wonderful scriptures that back this up. And you don't have to go there, but just write that down. Acts 20, 24 and Galatians 1, 6. You can see a coupling Every time that he talks about gospel, well, the word grace is right there with it. That defines what the gospel is. It's the grace of God. And we're going to talk about one of them scriptures later on. So we, let's get on down here. And then, we, then here's an aspect that if you don't accept God's righteousness, the Bible is very clear that you'll seek to establish your own. Romans 10, 1 through 4 will bear that out. Listen to what verse 3 says, 10 verse 3, Romans. Because they disregarded the righteousness from God and attempted to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted themselves to God's righteousness. In other words, you can turn that back around and say, because they didn't submit to God's righteousness, they established their own. They established their own. And that's exactly what you'll do. You'll pull up a whole bunch of fig leaves to cover your uncomeliness. Is that bringing back a visual image from Genesis when the very first thing that took place that actually spun all this law of sin and death and separation from God in motion, what was the first thing they did? Justify themselves, cover, do what they could to sew fig leaves together and cover their nakedness. Nakedness just means exposure. That's all it means. You're exposed. And there are parts of us that we would rather not be exposed. I know that's funny, but it's the truth. That's why we wear clothes. Some of us more than others. Amen. And that's exactly what happens. The soul is all about covering, all about justifying itself, fortifying its position. 
when it gets caught in doing something. Well, I do so-and-so. I give 15% of my income to the church. I pray five hours in a week. I mean, come on, there's nothing wrong with that, folks. Don't get me wrong. I think you know what I'm saying. So we need to accept God's righteousness that comes through grace by faith. Listen to what Romans chapter 4, 4 through 5 says. Now to the one who works, everyone pay attention to this, to the one who works, pay or restitution, if you will, or wages are not considered as a gift. If I work for something, if you say, if Johnny said, come over and help me do, um, you know, put together these uh, bags for this, this exhi- exhibition thing coming up, you know, for this uh, uh, funding, this uh, support, funding ra- fundraiser thing. And, I, and he says, and I'll, pay, you know, I mean, he's hiring me. He implies that he's hiring me. And I go over and do that. He's going to pay me a wage for my time. I, did I earn that? If I work, then I earn that. It's, it, it, what if Johnny said to me, hey, you know, here's a gift for your efforts. Wait a minute. I'm going to sit there and go, no, 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 you, you paid me that. And in fact, I need a, a W-2 or a declaration of that because I got to make sure I get all my taxes. Uh-oh. See, I'm not going to look at it as a gift. It's not. I earned it. Listen to what it says. Now to the one who works, pay is not considered as a gift, but as something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him, capital H, who declares the ungodly to be righteous, his faith is credited for righteousness. There it is again, faith kicking that door open to bring the right, to make the reality outside your dimension a right now perspective, a right now thing, a revelation. Grace ceases. In other words, the power. Anytime you see the word grace, just immediately put in the word power, the power of the gospel. The power of God, grace ceases when works enter the picture. When works enter, This nullifies the power of God in our lives, folks, these things that we may get cumbered about with. And here's the concept. Religion is always about mixing works into the picture. It's always, there's always an element of what they can offer in the concept. What can you do to earn your rights? And you know, I want to just use the words that Jesus used back in the day through all the gospel accounts here, there, and yonder. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And a lot of people would look at that and go, what is he talking? And even his disciples said, what is he talking about? He's talking about making bread? Well, that's what the disciples, the disciples are like, and don't, don't laugh because we would have thought the same things. Be like, leaven, yeast. Now you use yeast to make bread. What's, what? I mean, he didn't talk about making bread. What? And Jesus is like, I ain't talking about making bread, boys. What he was talking about is that little bit of, of this concept. You know what the Pharisees were about? They were about what they did. The rules, the regulations, how they applied themselves unto the law. He's trying to tell them, beware of that concept. Do you know what the Bible says about knowledge? It says it puffs up. What does yeast do to dough? Puffs it up. It puffs it up. And that's what he's saying. He knew what yeast did. He wasn't a chemist, a biochemist or someone that knew. He just knew that whenever you put some yeast in some dough and left it sit for a couple days or a day or whatever in the warm sun, then that dough would get big. It's not that the mass of that dough has changed. It still weighs the same. But boy, its volume is a lot bigger. You know what? There's a lot of heads that are like a big old puff ball of, of dough. Why? Because they're full of knowledge. When he, and let's just replace the word yeast with knowledge. Beware of the knowledge or perspective of the Pharisees. Why? Because knowledge puffs up. And when you get to the place to where your knowledge, where you replace the grace of God with your knowledge, then your head is a big old puff of dough. Popping fresh. <laughs> We got a lot of Pillsbury Doughboys worth of knowledge in the kingdom of God. 
And you know what we need to do? We need to stick a big old pin or finger of the, of the reality of the grace of God in that and puff it and bring it right back down to where it needs to be and allow God to need us, inform us as he's seen fit through his grace. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Listen to what Romans eleven five 5 says. In the same way then, there is also at the present time a remnant chosen by grace. Now, if by grace, then, it is not by works. Otherwise, grace ceases to be grace. I mean, how much more simple does it get? If you're going to stay on the works side of things, then you are disqualifying yourself from the real power of the gospel. Galatians 2.16, I know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Why? Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Okay, we're just getting it clearer and clearer and clearer that it doesn't matter what you do, you never earn your position to God. You'll never earn a right to receive anything from him. You'll never earn a place where you have access to him that has anything to do with your abilities. And if, you, if that's not enough, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let the thing be established. Let's look at another scripture, Galatians 2, 21. Well, in fact, let's look at Galatians 2, 15 and 21. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, I know that a person is not justified by the works of law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Well, I tell you what, I don't know about you, but that puts the rubber on the road right there. When you're getting to the place that you're discounting the sacrifice of heaven's Passover lamb, you've done something. But yet Paul is right here telling you that that's exactly what we do whenever we look and rely upon the arm of our flesh, of our soul, of our understanding and ability to try to earn position with God. In any concept of this or any part of this concept, he says, what do you do? You're discrediting the very death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior. I don't know about you, but I don't want any part of that. That's scary. It is scary. You're saying, you're putting yourself in a position in a judgment seat above God. You're declaring that his righteous rule by grace through his mercy is that you're discounting it and saying that, no, I have a position ahead of you to judge my own life and determine how I earn my way to you. And Christ wasn't enough. Man, come on. That's exactly what we're doing. That's exactly what we're doing. So now... In the next seven minutes, let's prime the power. Y'all recall that God gave me three different things about this series. Three different words, the inspiration thereof. The first one was to time, it was time to move past the precedent and prime the power. Move past our experience, the limit of our experience, and go past that to the next levels that God has for us. Well, how are we going to do that? We need to prime the power like a pump would be primed. We need to prime the power. Well, what is the power? It's the grace of God, folks. It's the gospel, the simplicity of the, of heavens, of the kingdom of heaven's message. The second point was time to tear down the religious structures and edifices from the gospel and let its true power build the kingdom. Get away from all the things that we've done to put, uh, put the puff and, of our knowledge and perspective in things and strip it back down to the essence of the real power. And that is the simplicity of his grace. And then that is exactly the third point was it's time to simplify. Well, let's prime the power. And, and, and what do we mean by priming the power? Walk, learning to walk in God's grace. Walking in God's grace. So let me ask you this morning. We need to take a grace survey of our life. How many of y'all ever taken a survey before? I've done a lot of surveys in my life. It's time to take an inventory or a grace survey this morning. Will you do that with me this morning? 
When you approach God, what is your usual mindset or focus? What is your usual mindset or focus? Is it sin? I mean, every time you come to God, is the first some of the first things you're always co- contemplating, always kicking around, always rolling around. Is it sin? Something you've done? Is it failure? How you've not how you've not completed something that you to swore to Him before you were going to complete, or you made a commitment to complete? Is it failure? You know, when you come to God, what is your mindset? What is your focus? What is it that you're that's just always occupying your conscious thought whenever you're coming to God? Is it this? Sin, failure, how you don't measure up? Is it this concept or question? Here I am again, God, such as it is, groveling as a worm in your presence. Just give me a little cabin in the corner of glory, God, that's all I ask. Is it that concept? Point number two, we're taking a grace inventory. How do you approach him? So we talked about... When, when you approach him, what's your usual mindset and focus? Well, how do you approach him? What's the manner by which you approach him? Do you approach him in unworthiness? Do you approach him with anxiety or dread or fear? And I'm saying the wrong kind of fear because we are to fear God. But that's not what we're not talking about. Oh, God, I'm scared. Oh, God, I'm scared. Oh, God, I'm scared. Because of uh, punishment. Do you approach him? Do you do you approach him in view of God as removed from you? In other words, on the outside of the wall that you can never never see, that you can never hear or ever touch. Is that the way you approach God? The manner by which you approach him? Do you approach him only in certain certain circumstances? In other words, it's not in everything that goes on in your life, but it's only in certain circumstances. Do you approach him? Do you approach him when you feel just right? That's when I approach God. When I feel just right. We're taking a grace inventory this morning to find out really where you're at with regard to the power of God's salvation, the power of the gospel, and that's the grace of God in your life. How much of it is at work? How much of it do you is a real right now reality and revelation? How much of it do you walk in? That's what we're doing. We're taking an inventory to see this. Point number three, what do you usually say to God when you approach him? I.e., when you, when you come to him, what is the focus of your prayers day in and day out? So let's stop and think about that for just a little bit. What's the focus of your prayers day in and day out when you come to him? Is it forgive me, Lord? Is that the first thing you do every time you come to God? It's, oh, God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, oh, God. Is it save me, oh, Lord, save me? You've got to save me, oh, God, because I'm drowning in this circumstance. You've got to save me. Is it, and is that the constant, you know, part of your request? I mean, is that what you're, you're continually coming to God with, with that? That's the constant theme that we would hear if we could hear your prayers to God. Is it heal me, Lord? Heal me, Lord. Heal me. Is it give me, give me, give me. Is it help me, help me, help me. I know this is, feels a little harsh, but I feel like the Holy Ghost gave this to me because uh, I'm inventorying myself in this concept. Because I have elements of some of this stuff. Point number four, we're taking the grace inventory. If any of the above is true, then I'm going to tell you right now that you need a greater revelation of grace. If any of what we just talked about is true, if you've answered yes to any of those questions, any of those positions, any of those requests, any of those mindsets that you come to God with, then I'll tell you right now, unequivocally, you need a revelation of grace, the revelation of the power of the gospel in your life. And I think it's so interesting. If I would to poll, was to poll everyone in this room and ask you, what's the most iconic song associated from the church that, that anyone, even though they go to church or not, uh, sings immediately? And you hear it in so many different facets, forms, and functions. What is it? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Oh, come on now. Is that right or not? And yet I've got to ask you a question this morning. How is it that that could be such an iconic emblem of something to associate? It's really all it is, is something that I think that there's a form of godliness in it, but we deny the power thereof. And that's what it comes down to. We have the form and we love the form of the godliness of what's said in that song. But the reality is there is no reality of that grace and revelation of that power in our lives. Man, I hear so many people right on to the voice that sing that song. And I'm sitting there going, oh, dear God, they have no concept of what they're singing. 
None. None. And they'll, they'll run it with a hundred different notes sung in one second. And it sounds wonderful and everything from a natural perspective. And the whole time, I'm literally trying to fight the tears back because I'm sitting there listening to someone singing a song, the message of which is the essence of their eternity with God if they would receive it and they have no concept of it. And you say, well, you're judging them. No, my heart, the spirit of God's inside of me. And I can identify that they're not in a place that they understand a single thing they're saying. They're just seeing it because it's words that sound good. Man, let's get past that. Let's get past the, the, you know, the process and let's get into the revelation of what that is. Past the program and into the revelation. It's 11.45 and I said, I'm going to stop, so I'm going to stop. Would you stand with me? Praise the Lord. Well, God delivered a lot of things this morning, or I, I tried to deliver a lot of things the Holy Spirit would bring by inspiration. I just believe this morning that you received some revelation. And I believe, here's the reality, and this is where I was eventually going, that this has to be your spiritual cud. You need to chew on this. We need to meditate on this message. When, and how do you meditate? I'll give you a simple, a simple um, illustration. Just get that scripture about God's grace. Let's start with the scripture about we're not appointed to wrath, but unto salvation. Think about that. Whenever you come to the place that you hit that weakness and you're wondering whether God really loves you, think about that scripture and and speak it out. Say, no, no, no. The Bible says, and I believe everything the Bible says, the Bible says that we are not appointed to wrath, but we're appointed to salvation. And, and the word says we, and guess what? We is plural, and we includes me. And so I'm not appointed to wrath. I'm appointed unto salvation. And wait, what was that that the preacher talked about with regard to salvation? Oh, he said that the I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of salvation. And so then what is the power of salvation? Well, the concept is, is that you just tell yourself over and over and over again, oh, he said that, that gospel and grace are just interchangeable because the power of the good news of the message of God is his divine enablement and the great exchange that he's made available through Jesus. And just tell yourself, uh-uh, uh-uh. I'm like this young man right here. I, I want it. I don't have to know everything about it. I don't have to see what's inside of it for I want it. I trust you, Lord. It's going to be good. I want it. I'll take it. I'll take it. And you tell yourself, I have taken it. And not only have I taken it, I'll continue to take it. Over and over and over again as you confess Jesus as Lord. As you continue to say to yourself, oh, you know what? I'm chosen in him before the foundation of the world for good works. I'm chosen in him. You know what? It's not me. Greater is he who is in me than he that's in the world. Yeah, I might be in the world, but the, the reality of strength and the one inside of me is greater than this reality I can see here. Hallelujah. Do you see what I'm saying? That's chewing your cud. That's meditating. That's putting focus in, in, in energy on the, the truth and eternal concepts of God. You know, that's doing what the Pharisees, bless their darling hearts and stupid heads. You know, they would develop concepts of, because the, the scripture says, keep, let these be as frontlets before your eyes, the truths of God's word. Keep them always before your eyes, always in your vision. They literally developed a physical box called a flackery and put it, put the scripture of the Torah inside of that, written very, very small, and put it and hung it on their heads and walked around with it. Now that's what I call literal interpretation. Do you think that's what God meant when he said, keep them ever before your eyes? <laughs> I mean, I heard somebody with some laughs. No. You know what he means by it? Doing what I'm saying. Whenever you look at your circumstance, you don't see the circumstance. You see what God says about it. Keep them before your eyes. When you look at your life and you see another failure, you don't look at that failure. You look at what God says. I'm not appointed to wrath. I'm appointed on salvation. And the reality is my salvation comes by the power that he gives me because of Jesus who loved me so much. He gave his life for me. Hallelujah. And you know what? Right now we all stand equivalent in value to the father as Jesus. 
The Father values you the same as he does his only begotten son. People say, you want to talk about too good, too good to be true. You want to talk about heresy from a religious perspective, but yet that is the reality, folks. Father, help us to know that you love us as you loved him, Jesus. Jesus prayed that prayer, and I just ask, oh God, that today you would stir that up by the Spirit right now. In the name of Jesus, I just thank you for a spirit of revelation and knowledge across this congregation. Father, I'm asking for myself that I have an unfolding, an unveiling through through the Spirit into my mind to enlighten the eyes of my understanding and to the hope that we've been called to, oh God. And that hope is this, that, oh God, we don't have to grovel. Oh God, we don't have to do anything to earn our position to you. Jesus has done, has paid it all, oh God, and I believe in that payment, and I believe that it's been credited to me fully, wholly, completely. And I draw on that bank account right now of grace in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. We draw. We repent, O oh God, of the fact that we've allowed the law to set aside your grace, O oh God. And we want to embrace again the simplicity of the power of your message, O oh God. The power of the gospel. And we're not ashamed of it, O oh Lord God. We're not ashamed that, Father, we could not in ourselves do anything to earn it. Father, we are, are proud of one thing, and that is, Father, you loved us as you loved him, and you gave him as a sacrifice to do the things we couldn't do so he could turn around and give that victory to us. Thank you, oh God. We believe it by faith. We kick open the door by faith and declare that a reality in our lives. Oh God, we stand righteous, Father God, in right standing with you because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I just thank you, Jesus, that you paid it all. Thank you for paying it all. So this morning, we've talked about the grace and the power of the gospel. And I just want to ask this morning, if there is anyone who has yet to avail yourself of this power, of the great exchange, I want you to come forward and receive Jesus as your Lord. I want you to receive the power of God that he has made available unto you to be reconciled unto him. Please come forward this morning if you have not done that. I want to make that opportunity available. Oh, it's so simple. It's so simple. All you have to do is say, I want it. I'll take it. Just like this young man did. I'll take it. I'll take it. If you've not received the Lord as your Savior, come forward right now in the name of Jesus. And I would say to the rest of us that have received the Lord, let's, let's, let's turn away. Let's repent from an attitude. Let's, let, let's pop the, the dough loaf this morning. The, let's, let's pop that thing that's been puffed up. Let's just eliminate knowledge and our understanding of things as we've known it to now about this simple message and be like, God, I would just believe to receive the simplicity of this, the revelation of this message again. Just like the patriarch of old said, restore unto me, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Hallelujah. And the grace message is the power of God unto salvation. Oh, God, I just ask on behalf of those here, Father, we want to have restored unto us the joy of the salvation that we've received, oh, God. In Jesus' name, hallelujah.